You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning. Thanks for listening to the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. It's Tuesday the 20th of February, Charlotte Greenway filling in for Nick as he enjoys his final few hours of holiday in the sunshine. I'm joined today by Dave Yates of the Daily Mirror and we'll be talking Cheltenham, Aintree and another case of a jockey testing positive for cocaine. Of course, being Tuesday, we'll also get the timeform perspective this week on the Stayers Hurdle as well as visiting Ireland for this week's Weatherby's Bloodstock segment. First, though, I think it was reported last week that Jordan Gainford, who fractured his T5 and T6 in a fall back in December, would be back in time for Cheltenham. So I caught up with him this morning to see how the recovery was going and whether he'd been back on a horse yet. Back right now, now a week. Um, and uh, now everything, everything feels good. And have you got a sort of a target for when you might be back on the race course yet, or is it take it um, as it comes? We're hoping, we're hoping uh, maybe this week or uh, the weekend, Saturday or Sunday. So uh, fingers crossed. So I take it then that that's good news, and you'll be back aboard Hewick for the Gold Cup because Sharks been adamant that this is your ride if you're available. Yeah, exactly. Um, hopefully, um, we've been doing plenty in the gym um, for the last six weeks and uh, feeling very strong. Um, Called into Shark when I was injured and uh, saw Hewitt looks great and uh, no fingers crossed um, fingers crossed we'll get back on uh, on Hewitt yeah. Hewitt of course is is going for the Gold Cup all being well and Shark's adamant that Hewitt wasn't done with when he tipped up uh, two out in last year's Gold Cup. Would you be of the same mindset? Yeah, exactly. Um, Lucas, um, maybe the straight was that bit more is more uh, softer. Um, he sort of hit a little bit, bit of a flat spot as he always does, but he always finds the pressure. Um, do you know what I mean? So, look, I think if he hadn't tipped up, he would have been Might never bet the winner, but might have been, been pissed. You must have been sat at home watching that King George, and it must have been frustrating, albeit I'm sure you're very proud of the horse and, and glad for his connections. But even you, knowing the horse, knowing how tough he is, you can't have ever thought he was going to win that, did you, throughout the race? Yeah, exactly. Um, Lucas, uh, absolutely good, but fair play to Shark and all the team. Um, he's a very classy horse and uh, also fair play to everyone involved. Um, didn't think he was going to win, obviously. I'd say a lot of people didn't out his head and they probably went a little bit too hard up front and uh, he got the result in the end. And would that be his sort of ideal race for a Gold Cup on decent ground and they go a good gallop and hopefully doesn't hit the same flat spot? Exactly, um, exactly. Uh, I think a bit of nicer ground would be ideal. Um, we don't know what, what, what the weather is going to bring, but uh, a good gallop um, and uh, maybe ride them differently this year, um, have different tactics. In terms of just holding him up a little bit? Exactly, Um Exactly, um, Lucas. You probably know, know the pace in the race. Um, you'd be hoping there would. Um, and Lucas, you'd have to ride your race then after that. Well, Jordan, it's great to hear that you're very near to, to returning to the race course. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed all goes well, and we'll see you at Cheltenham. Lovely. Thanks, William. Talk to you soon.
Well, Dave, great to hear that a comeback for Jordan Gainford is imminent, having been out since the beginning of December. And I'm sure very much a driving force throughout his his recovery has been Hewick and wanting to get aboard him in the Gold Cup because he's got a proper outside chance, if not more than that. Very much so. Um, I think that, well, you wouldn't need a better incentive, would you, for your rehabilitation programme and coming back from injury than the prospects of riding Hewick again. Um, as you say, he is an outsider in the Gold Cup, but he's a King George winner. And I know that that race perhaps unfolded uh, like a dream for his backers with the, 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 the front three racing from a mile out and, and then uh, Gavin Sheehan picking up the pieces aboard Hewick. But um, he's a remarkable horse, rem- as, as, as Jordan referenced, he, he came down at the second last in the race last March and the ground was too soft in that day. It's, it's unlikely that um, he would have done better than finishing the placings that afternoon behind Galopin Deschamps. But um, the trainer has said throughout Shark Hanlon that he, he wants good ground for Hewitt this time around and... If he gets that, then he's certainly going to be one of those quite lively outsiders, Charles, isn't he? That the you think that um, both the way that he finished the King George and his career CV generally, the fact that he's won a Bet Three Six Five Gold Cup, we know that the distance is no problem to him. And you know, if something were to happen with Galopin Deschamps jumping, and I know I bang on about this a bit, and maybe it'll just he'll go round on rails um, on March the 15th this time around he didn't last year it was a, a game of two halves for him he was sloppy in the first half and much better in the second but if he were to uh, fall short of market expectations and he's generally the the odds on favourites for the Cheltenham Gold Cup then it, it does open it up significantly Hewick is a, a best price 16 to 1 shot and if we do get a decent uh, week in terms of weather or a dry week in terms of weather and he's a, a horse I think that one has to have among the uh, the positives of, of those horses that double those horses that double figure odds so it's it's good to see Jordan Gainford back he's been a a, a real part of Hewitt's career Gavin Sheehan was excellent at Kempton in the King George but he knew that if uh, Jordan Gainford came back then he would get the ride and uh, as I say you don't need much more of an incentive I wouldn't have thought than the prospects of riding him on March the 15th. Before the King George I think most of us thought that the Grand National would be Hewick's main aim for the season. Uh, The weights come out for that this afternoon and after his victory in the King George you'd expect he'll be top weight or a pound or two off it. It'll be a hard task. Yeah, the uh, weights are published, as you say, this afternoon. And yeah, it would be a tricky one. I, I, I can see why um, I can see why Shark Hanlon has prioritised the, the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I think if you, you have a horse who uh, wins the King George, then that is the likely and the, the logical next step, isn't it? You know, as I say, we can... We could talk all day about how the the King George unfolded, but Hewitt won it, and he won it well, and he won it going away from some really good horses. So I, I think that the 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 Gold Cup would be the likely, um, you know, the logical choice for him. And and depending on what happens at Cheltenham, we may see him at Aintree. If we don't see him, then obviously there are plenty of other Irish challengers to worry about. 
and one who's going to sidestep the Gold Cup to prioritise his national prep. As reported in the Racing Post is Nassalam, who of course won the Welsh Grand National. What do you make of him as a national horse, Dave? Well, I mean, the way that he won the Welsh National at Chepstow in December, I, I certainly can't remember even the likes of Carville's Hill um, going back to the, the the late 80s and early 90s. I, I, I can't remember a, a, a race like the Welsh National being won so emphatically. You know, the, the black and white in the results tell you that Nassalan won by 34 lengths. And I mean, it really was just by about a fence wasn't it it was an incredible performance um in terms of the uh, his rating he won that off a mark of 145 he's now up to 161 we should put in the the caveat that um, much his best form has been with plenty of dig in the ground so if you're backing Nassalam for the Randolph's Grand National, then you're really hoping for a wet week on Merseyside leading up to the race. Um, if it were to to dry out and we had the sort of spring ground that we can have in the National sometimes, I think that would definitely work against him. But, you know, I mean, the, the, um, the statistics would tell you that he's a seven-year-old and, and seven-year-olds is it's generally too early in their careers at uh, the Grand National. But you know, where else would you go with him uh, when you've just won a, a race like the, the Welsh Grand National by such a, a yawning margin? The handicap has had his say, but Nassalam is lightly raced over fences. He's had well, he's had 13 runs, but I certainly think that it's, uh, it's true that he's still on an upward curve, let's put it that way. And so, yeah, you can see Gary Moore's thinking in, in bypassing the Cheltenham Gold Cup and going straight to Aintree because if he were to have the underfoot conditions uh, that he's proved so good on, then Naslam would surely be a, a really strong player in the world's most famous steeplechase. Just ahead of the weights, Dave, are there any horses which you're sort of particularly uh, looking forward to seeing what they get allotted or is it going to be quite straightforward this year, do you think? I think it'll be pretty straightforward, Charlotte, and that's a, a way of sort of dodging your question in in a way. But I, th- I think that one of the um, one of the ways that that the race has evolved and and changed over over the decades. Um, remember, years ago, of course, there was a strong entry factor. I think there's less of one these days. In the era of Phil Smith, he he was compressing the weights and 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 really quite heavily in some cases you know he'd, he'd give um he'd give the horses at the top of the handicap a, a real incentive in terms of um uh, wanting the, the best horses to run in the grand national and, and he achieved that i don't think that we're, there are going to be uh, too many surprises in uh what we see this afternoon martin greenwood an old friend and colleague of mine from Timeform, um he'll he'll no doubt uh at, receive a bit of criticism from uh from connections of horses who think they've got too much weight but martin's tough enough to deal with that and uh I, yeah i don't think there'll be too many surprises for us today that's uh, the the era of, of of heavy compression of the weights is over now and um you know there'll be the odd little uh diversion from the, the horse's official marks but i don't think there'll be anything too serious no and Corrit rambler he heads heads the betting last year's winner he of course won it off 146 last year and has got a current rating of 159 but um it's just a deserved rise and i thought he ran well at haydock last time 
Yeah, I did. You know, he's he's a horse who um, Lucinda Russell is is always apt to say that he comes to himself in the spring. Well, that's certainly been borne out on Corak Rambler's uh, last two seasons, hasn't it? Because uh, he won the Ultima in twenty twenty two. He won the Ultima again in 2023 and then, of course, famously followed up at Aintree. So um, whatever we've seen of Korak Rambler this uh, season, and he was pretty underwhelming at Kelso at the end of October, he was better uh, behind Royal Pagai in the uh, Betfair Chase last time out at the end of November. We know he's a spring horse, and so it's it's reasonable to expect him to step up on those efforts and obviously having gone up 13 pounds in the weights uh since his victory in the national last year he'll need to if he's going to follow up it sounds like his connections are doing sort of the opposite of nasalams and they're going to go for the gold cup and the gold cup has been in the news yesterday with regards to ticket sales because last year all tickets uh for gold cup day were sold out by the end of january there's still some available and it sounds like we're down on the other days as well. This is probably slightly a bit of a sign of the times, isn't it? I think it's a bit of the, um, a sign of the times. Um, it's also, I think, it's it's a very, very expensive uh, project to go to the Cheltenham Festival these days. I mean, I remember when I stayed, you know, I, I normally stay outside Cheltenham. I, I I never stay in the town itself during the festival, but I did stay there during COVID, the the, the COVID uh, Cheltenham festival in twenty twenty one, because obviously the, the there was a crowd, wasn't there, for the one in twenty twenty, and I, I I stayed in a um, a holiday in Express near the the brewery quarter, and I got that for seventy quid a night because of course crowds weren't allowed, and as I checked out, I said sort of almost in jest uh, to the employee on the desk, or I, I might try and um, I might try and book for next year. You know, it's nice to stay in the centre of Cheltenham. How much would I be looking at? And they said, um, it'll be 700 quid a night next year. And I thought, my goodness, you know, Holiday and Express, everything you need, but not an awful lot in terms of luxury. And... I don't. I don't mean to pick on that particular chain of hotels because it's the same everywhere. It's it's very expensive. Um, I wonder to an extent whether the fairly constant reports of of jockey club prices um, are. I wonder whether that's having a, a negative effect as well. Um, but it, it's it's a you know as I say it's it's a it, it's at least an, a very expensive holiday if you go and stay uh, at Cheltenham for the week. Um, and I'm, I'm not, this doesn't come as a massive surprise. You know, we know that we're in a, um, a, a cost of living crisis at the moment still. Things aren't getting, um, you know, inflation is coming down, but that was because it was ridiculously high in the first place. And so it's not really a, a, a massive surprise. That doesn't mean to say it isn't worrying because of course it is, you know, the, the the Cheltenham Festival is the, the the flagship meeting of the of the British jump season, and we do expect it to be uh, very heavily attended and and pretty much sold out in advance. So um, it is a worry. I think that it's as I say, not a massive surprise because anyone who goes there for a, a couple of days, you, you've really got to hit upon a few winners in order to uh, pay for 
your time in Cheltenham and it's perhaps time maybe for uh, a few of the local concerns to put their heads together and think well we've probably been overdoing it over the last few years and and one hopes that prices can at least stabilize if not come down yeah and I know we've got three weeks left but as you say it's an expensive day out and it's something that people have to plan ahead for it's not a last minute oh why don't we go to Cheltenham next week or something you know I will I love going for the four days as much as anyone but I've had this in my mind for the last six months yeah absolutely well I'm the same I think I I booked my accommodation probably about last last May I think um, you know, in the expectation that I would be there all four days. And um, yeah, it's as you say, it's not something that you uh, think of on the spur of the moment. It's something that requires a lot of planning and it does require a lot of outlay. You know, the uh, the prices that some of the hotels charge in the centre of Cheltenham, they are absolutely eye-watering. I know, you know, this isn't meant to be a, a sob story on the part of Fleet Street, but I know that you know, I wouldn't go near any of those prices. I, I, I have a, I, I share accommodation with a couple of colleagues, and uh, we do that in a way that is financially manageable. But I know that if I if I threw some of those hotel bills uh, that many people are paying in the centre of Cheltenham at uh, at my expenses desk, I, I'd get them thrown back in my face, and I'd understand why because in some cases they're astronomical. Well, maybe the Stayers Hurdle is the race that could pay for your week, as there's plenty in there with chances. Dan Barber joins me now for Tuesday's Timeform Perspective. And Dan, it's a pretty murky picture for the Stayers, which is lacking a standout horse compared to the other championship races. Botox Ha was a commanding winner of the Rendlesham this weekend. Might he have thrown his hat into the ring? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he had to improve necessarily. This is a horse who'd basically held his own at this level for a while now. Won the West Yorkshire on his return. He wasn't made favourite. Favourite was favouritism went to Butch, who was stepping up from handicap. So that in itself maybe tells you that it isn't a strong division. But I want to speak in defence of it because I sort of feel like the mood is that it's a it's a slightly poor relation of the champion hurdle. The champion hurdle has a constitution hill and he's going to light up the festival potentially. The stayers have sort of been shorn of a horse like that. We've had big books, we've had Ingalls Dream, we've had Barracuda, but they are getting further and further into the past and we have sort of lacked that staying star probably since Thistlecrack, maybe since the first year of Paisley Parks. So there've been twenty three stayers hurdles this century, Charlotte. Thirteen it did a favourite started to one or shorter, but not only one of the last four renewals and two of the last six have. So there's been a real shift. No longer is there a dominant figure who everyone has to aim at, it's actually become, in my opinion, the best betting race amongst the championship races. Compare it to the champion hurdle, it's been dominated by short price favourites in recent times. Indeed, uh, sampling again down to the last four, each of the last four has featured a short one, two to one or shorter. But that's not the case in the stayers. I think it makes for a really interesting race. It makes for an open race. And when you're guaranteed a biggish field, which is certainly not in the champion hurdle this time around, it guarantees a potentially good each-way betting race as well. So I speak in defence of the stayers, even if a few have been inclined to knock it just because there isn't a star knocking around in the division. And where would you be looking? Because you've got sort of proven form in the favourite to Hooper. You've got Irish Point, who's who's unexposed, coming up the ranks along with Crambo. And then some of the older horses sort of filling in there, Noble Yates, Gerhard, Monkfish, Paisley, Side Belay. 
flooring porter. What sort of view do you take on those? Yeah, again, I couldn't be strong because of the fact I think it is so open. They could be seven or eight horses. Somebody can make a case to you, and I think you could nod along and agree. Um, what's been interesting this year has been the emergence of newer names. Noble Yates was a left field sort of participant. The same could be said of Crambo, who's made his way up through handicaps. I mean, it's it's old hat. Anybody who knows me knows that this is a this is more than a second hand book or second hand record. It's been extremely well read, but I do think Paisley Park will run really well again. I'm not sure his powers have weighed that much in a big field and strong pace in a stay as I thought might be enough to see him in the shake-up but one thing you would note this year Irish point to who placed last season Crambo just mentioned there is a bit of youth in there and there are a few whose best days may well be ahead of them that's clearly not the case with Paisley Park but the level he's been knocking on the door with this season I think he's enough to have him thereabouts in the frame and that ignore whatever Constitution Hill does ignore a Galapanda Champs versus Shishkin versus fast or slow head to head in a Gold Cup potentially. I don't think there'd be a bigger story at the entire festival if if the old boy was able to spring back to his very best and uh, and upset a few of the youthful ones. Yeah, if he could walk into the winners' enclosure at Cheltenham, he'd get some reception. Uh, that's for sure. But just looking back, possibly on last year's race, if we're going to get a few few clues from there. Uh, there was the argument that Tiupu was possibly unlucky. Do you buy into that? I, th- I think he might have been able to make his move a bit sooner. But I think there's another argument potentially. We might just be dealing with a better horse now anyway. Last year was a real scramble, wasn't it? Even it, the icing on the cake was when the stewards were involved in deciding whether the second and third had interfered with each other. So there was a stewards. That was then changed on appeal. So from start to finish, the picture was fairly unclear. There was drama on the day. There was drama after the event. I, mean, I just think that adds to what, as I keep stressing at the moment, is basically my favourite division on the championship scene because we are adding new names. It's not just the same old faces, but some of those same old faces who were competitive last year and may well be competitive this are still operating at a level to make them of some interest. So it's just a really interesting race. And Tihupu, a year older more proven at the trip now. He's got the scalp of Impere Pass in the Hatton's Grace in his return. He, I can see why he is favourite, but you've got a stable mate and owner mate in, in Irish Point who, if he's not snapping at his heels, he might even be right alongside him. And while it may be a championship race that Willie Mullins is running a bit of an outsider in, one race he looks to have a stranglehold over at the moment is the Supreme Novices. The first race of the meeting, what's the chance he's going to get off to a flyer and he could have a one, two, three. Yeah, sort of like a sort of a warning. This maybe it shouldn't be PG because of the outpouring of the sort of sorrow and disappointment and think pieces as to where British racing is going wrong. But I'm just positing the idea of Mullins starting the festival potentially with something he hasn't done before. I think it was a great darts commentator Sid Waddell who once opined that Alexander the Great cried salty tears because he had no more worlds to conquer. Eric Bristow's only 27. It feels a bit like that with Mullins. Mullins is our Eric Bristow. And it just feels like there are, we are running out of records for him to break. But how about starting off the Supreme with a 1-2-3? Because bar two horses, brighter days ahead, the mayor who won't be going for that race and the runner-up at the Dublin Racing Festival as well, 
Mullins dominates the time form ratings for the Supreme at this stage. He's basically got the one, two, three. Tully Hill improved his figure from 130 to 144 uh, over the weekend. Ballyburn at the DRF improved his from 149 to 153. And Mystical Power winning her second start went from 131 to 143. He's got the top three in the time form ratings. It appears, although it's an unclear picture still, that they're all going to go for it. And yeah, just brace yourselves because the festival may start as it means to go on. There could potentially be a Mullins 1-2-3 in the Supreme. Yeah, you'd have to think if he ran all three of them, uh, there's certainly a good chance of that happening. Although, whether that'll happen or not, who are we to guess what Willie Mullins is going to do? Just picking up on, on one of those outside of his, uh, Jericho de Repinay, he came uh, into the season with a huge reputation. He looked very good and then possibly just slightly disappointed at Doncaster. He still won, but maybe not in the fashion that we'd expected. Have, have you taken a strong stance on him? Uh, yeah, mainly towards the negative. Just his bare form, we just don't think matches up with particularly what Ballyburn has achieved. He's going to be £7 clear as, as things stand in that opening race of the festival. First two starts, very hard to knock. He he basically coasted through them and looked like he might actually be able to live up to that home reputation. But getting forced to work hard at Doncaster, some may say it's a blessing in disguise. It means that he's had to fight in a race and he'll, he'll have learnt a fair bit more ahead of a Supreme. But scrambling home from lump sum et al does not scream this is a definite Supreme novice's hurdle winner. And you consider Nicky is the one who's who really has been fighting off the Mullins charge in this race for a good few years now. He's been the British trainer who has unearthed these brilliant two-milers, say Altiors and Shishkins and Constitution Hills. Whether Jericho de Repinay at the moment is in that same category, I'd, I'd very much have my doubts. Dan Barber there with this week's Timeform Perspective. Well, Dave, a new week and a new case of a jockey being forced onto the sidelines by the BHA for doing something he shouldn't. What's going on here? Yeah, this is Tommy Dowson, um, who tested positive for cocaine. Um, He rode at Savile last September, took a saliva test, a urine sample, then a hair sample, uh, and that... uh, tested positive for a, a metabolite of cocaine. He admitted taking the drug. Um, the uh, the hearing was yesterday. And I, I was I, I, I liked the way that Tommy Dowson was dealt with here. Um, addressing him, panel chair, Rachel Spearing, um, gave, gave him, I thought, a few encouraging words rather than just, um, you know, telling him of how he transgressed and that the punishment that would follow. She said, she told um, the, the the jockey, there are a few of us who won't remember your incredible finish on Nautical Nitwit. This was uh, when Nautical Nitwit beat Old Guard, ridden by Bryony Frost in the, um, the West Yorkshire Hurdle at Weatherby. That was in November 2018. And she continued, we hope that your riding continues, but that you continue to treat yourself as an athlete so you can regain the future that you deserve. We hope to see you back fit, able, strong, riding those sorts of finishes again. So um, I I, I like that. I I like the way that Rachel Spearing has dealt with that case. I think to say to the jockey, you know, you, you transgressed, you are going to be punished, but, you know, think on, 
you've got a, a good career ahead of you if you keep your nose clean, no pun intended, and, you know, just come back, get your house in order, and if you do that, then you've got a good career ahead of you. I think that's the, a, a mature and empathetic and a, 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 a sensible way of addressing these cases, and I, I, thought, uh, I thought she dealt with it really well. And it also sounds like Tommy Dowson has sort of dealt with this as well as he could. He's put his hands up and he's made changes to his, his lifestyle, so hopefully it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, I suppose um, he had little option. But, yeah, he seems to have dealt with this in a, in a mature way. And, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see, won't we? So many jockeys uh, refer to, you know, a moment of madness in um, in cases like this when we suspect that, in some of those cases, uh, there is a more uh, regular use of, of drugs like cocaine. But, yeah, as you say, Tommy Dowson, he he confessed to his crime. Uh, he had little option, but he now, uh, he's he's living uh, on site at, at Phil Kirby, his boss is in, in North Yorkshire. And, you know, like everybody else, I hope that he uh, will come back and will revisit and and possibly advance upon uh, the career peaks that um, he's achieved already because he's an excellent jockey and he's one that we want to see riding in the saddle rather than uh, sitting out six months and then longer bands uh, because of the use of, of drugs like cocaine. Now, as we do every Tuesday, we go around the bloodstock world with Weatherbees, and this time we're landing in the picturesque village of Coolagown in County Cork, Ireland, where Dave Stack stands an exciting and unique roster of stallions. The Coolagown stallions can be found in the go-to resources for national hunt breeders and enthusiasts, these being the Weatherbees Stallion Book and nhstallions.co.uk. Dave, first off, thanks very much for joining me this morning and taking time out of your day because I'm sure things are beginning to get busy for you outside with falling and coverings going on. Yeah, we've been busy. The falling, we do, I do outside falling as well as our own and we've had a good few falls on the ground, touch wood, everything has been healthy so far and nothing has gone really disastrous other than a couple of maidens sort of having the freak outs when they look behind them but the and the stallions have started away but like with again with most uh, irish studs you don't get the national hunt doesn't get going really until around patrick's day and when the weather starts changing like we've been doing maybe two three a day at the moment and out of the five of them which isn't too bad well, Dave, I'm keen just to go back to sort of the very beginning. Um, so just tell us about the history of the stud and how Coolagown Stud came about. Um, the stud, well, the farm was started by my dad in the late 70s. He was a farm assistant for my, and he were always breeding national hunt horses. And uh, then in the late or early 90s, he started into some flat mares, and we had good success. Like my dad, he bred, um, the best horse he bred would have been the Arkle winner, uh, Travado, for Nicky Henderson. And he was there on the cream of the two-mile chasers in the early 90s. They, and from, we stood our first stallion, a horse called Rock Chantour, 
in I think about 92, 93 and I got the bug just from there really and we slightly upgraded to a horse called Air Display who was an Acoli horse we bought from Hugo Murray and then we had Cezanne who was with us for one season who was infertile unfortunately he was he won the champion stakes for Gandalfin and then we brought in Humble and it just sort of um, went on from there like I said I've a I think I have one of my strongest squads of horses or rosters um so that since I've started with Paris Kenway and Storm the Stars and just back to the beginning as well making that leap from sort of having a nice broodmare band at home to expanding into the stallions what was the motivation behind that decision madness I think but um, I it's my dad just wanted to try it because he was getting like the I think at that stage he had maybe fifteen to twenty broodmares of his own, and we were always using Rapari or Grange, which and um, like we were still using them, but maybe there was ten or twelve mares that didn't more um, that we tried to push to our own fella to help him along. No, he were, the first horse was a disaster. I think he bred one winner. So we wasted a few broodmares on him. But it was just a start. And then we we just started trying to upgrade from there. And you mentioned your strong roster of stallions this year. Most recent stallion to reside with you is Kenway, who stands this year for the first time. What was it about him that convinced you he'd be a good fit? Um, he, well, the, his sire Galloway is one of those who fought his way up, is the best way of putting it. Like, he start, he had, Galloway didn't have a great race record, but he really improved his mayors in France, and they were winning flash national hunt, high class in both, and... The first real time I took notice of him, I have to, must be when Selway won the champion stakes in at um, Ascot. Like, and this horse was tough, consistent, battled up to the line. And Willie Mullins had uh, Vauvan as well. Again, triple grade one winner over hurdles, Royal Ascot winner. Um, Gallimar So now is there. Jimmy DeSull is another one of the um, Galloway's that's below in Willie Mullins's. He's coming through. He's I think he's got two two grade one entries at Cheltenham in the novices. Galloway is one of those that can do both jobs equally successfully. So is that the hope for Kenway then? He he was a stakes winner over seven furlongs and also over nine furlongs. So he, he's yeah. got the option to do that. Yeah, well, again... Kenway is bred um, Galloway Kendar John, the same as Selloway um, Sunway Gallamasso. He took a lot of racing, and he retired some wind and limb as well. Like he's a he's a group winner at two, and the stakes winner at three and four as well. Um, he ran in one of the first. I think he actually ran the first two year old race of that season in France, and when he won his group one, or sorry, his group three, 
my apologies, slight upgrade on the page. Um, but when he won his Group 3, he beat Wooded, who was a Group 1 winner later on. And he, he beat him with a great turn of foot. And why we brought him in, as well as being the Galloway, he's some, he'll be the first son of Galloway standing in Britain or Ireland. And he'll also bring in an injection of speed into into the pedigrees, into the national hunt mares, which I think we're lacking slightly because nearly every national hunt horse now is 10, 12 furlongs. I'm in partnership with his, with Harris de Beaumont, who also have um, Selloway and Ace Impact. And they have supported him well with a lot of well-bred young mares that they've purchased, flat and national hunt. And... We, when I approached them about stand, doing a deal to stand him, and when I put in that I wanted to try this as a proper dual-purpose stallion. Like, we have five half-sisters to group one winners on the flat purchased, and I think there is four grade half-sisters to grade ones over jumps, and then there's a clatter of group three, grade three and grade two winners as well. Like, he's going to get a good chance just not from the broodmares purchased by us, but his, book, his outside bookings have been strong as well. The plan is to get you a horse so that you'll have your, your flat full, so the goths or dads, that will end up hopefully going on, make, making, making you a, bit of a, a nice bit of a profit on his stud fee, which is two and one, and then returning, keep him going. He sells on, Two-year-old, he wins hopefully as a two or three-year-old, sold in the horse and training, then goes on over hurdles, and for one of with one of the leading trainers. The plan is is to get, as well as good, consistent flat horses, to get top-class national hunt horses. Like if you look at the last sale, um, in Goffs, there was one Galloway in it, bred and actually Galloway out of Kendar Jean Mare. A colt, light enough on on paper, beautiful looker, still made sixty eight thousand. Um, the horses Willie Mullen, there was three in the Goffs Land Rover, all three Willie Mullins purchased, and you you don't see him buying stores himself and Harold Kirk buying stores that often anymore. So there's definitely logic behind your thinking with him and. Uh, another exciting young stallion that's joined your ranks last year is Storm the Stars who. He was an ultra-consistent Group 1 performer when he was trained by William Haggis. He's beautifully bred, his grandam being Mariah's Storm. How did you come about him? I was, I'm was. i very lucky to be involved with Richard Vinn. That's how I came about him. Um, as I said, Richard has been is responsible for him and with uh, Paris as well, standing with us. Um, he, Richard, he knew we were looking for a storm or see the stars horse. And I had we'd gone through on my own. I'd gone through maybe four or five that we'd be I'd been offered. I turned down for uh, for different reasons that I didn't like the race record, etc. And Richard came to me with this horse, and he ticked all the boxes. Like he is a he's a great presence about him. He's got a brilliant walk, great bone. The shoulder is there, and he 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 has he's that type of attitude. He knows that he's good. 
if if you know if I can put it across, like he just oozes confidence, and that he had like he he would have had um, first crop would have been a rising four when when he came over to us. They had a good success. He he produces a good type of consistent tough horse. They they take a lot of racing. They're um, sound horses as well. And I had done once it once we done a little I with his race record etc. It was a straight yes. And once I did a bit more digging, again, Willie Mullins has a good has uh, three or four of them and the Blehans were one of the first to ring me after it was announced we had him to say they love this horse they have a few of them that kind of support is invaluable yeah and Willie Mullins has had one that's gone on to do it on the track as well hasn't he in Storm Heart because he absolutely bolted up on his first start over hurdles for Willie and in the uh, silks of Giggins Town House stud and then went on to the Dublin Racing Festival and was narrowly beaten in the grade one he was giving a, he was given a good bit of weight away uh, to the winner and with a more positive ride I think might be the best phrase I think he could have he could have won but look, that's the racing. That's that's what makes it such a, a great sport. And just how important is it for these stallions who are starting off their career that, that they do get a good one early on? It's vital. No, this is my opinion. But if your horse is rising six, his first crop rising six, and he hasn't produced a, um, a horse, of a good black type horse, people are going to forget him. Like we, I stand, I have a very, I have a beautiful horse there standing with us in Zambezi Sun. He's a group one winner himself. He won the Grand Prix de Paris for Judmont. He's 16-2. He's by Dan Silly, an outcross for a thing. Great bone. Again, good walking horse. A um, lot of black type uh, national hunt horses. He had the... The, the Grand Steeple Chase the Paris winner dish are in 2023 and we struggle to get mares for him because he didn't and his early crops didn't have those superstars that didn't come to Ireland or England now way to Paris is a horse I feel that when people see him once they never forget him I only ever saw him race on the TV screen but he caught my eye I have a real soft spot for a grey anyway but it was just something about him is he as striking in the flesh yes um he is one of the most gorgeous horses we i have ever had and and he knows it himself he is a prima donna he 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 loves to pose he again he comes out the action on him the movement great bow uh, good bone good shoulder action and glides on 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 the walk and he's he's pushing it to his folds a lot of them he's got some of the best walking individuals out of his stock he breeds a very good looking individual horse plenty of size again like himself he's 62 and the big plus is he's or the big thing he's done he's the only son of shams elise at stud and shams elise is from two crops in castle hyde is after leaving some very good horses. Yeah, it's a great shame that his stud career was cut so short because 
Um, he showed real promise. But just one thing on this horse that he's shown he can really do is take his racing. He ran 35 times, something similar to what Kenway showed. Is that ability to take their racing and remain consistent, is that key to you when you're when you're looking for a stallion? Yes, um, soundness is a big part of it. Um, because if they're not sound, you're, in whatever frailty they have, they're going they're going to pass it on and wind and limb wind especially is a big is a big thing for me um i said that's why with richard dealing with richard is easy he knows what i my uh, parameters what i want in a horse and he he knows what to offer me and what not to offer me but like i said with paris he was a tough consistent racehorse like in his last season, he 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 was a Group One winner, Group One playist, tough out. He beat twenty three individual Group One horses in his in in those two seasons. Um, he took some notable scalps. He was he be, defeated two Arc winners as well. They and his first well his first crop are now two year olds. Um, but there'll be a, I think there'll be a couple that will run late two-year-old types, maybe early three-year-olds um, that might go over hurdles before they get to the store, before we have the store sales for them. But like from his two crops um, that were sold at, um, at Goffs and Fairy House, both lots sold well above their, um, they averaged multiples of their um, nomination fees, which is down to what the individuals looked like. That's actually something that struck me when I reviewed your covering fees before this call because they all seem extremely reasonable and they look good value. We know the National Hunt breeding market is in a tricky spot at the moment in terms of just a handful of stallions being in fashion and many decent stallions being overlooked. Are these stud fees a result of this market change to attract more breeders and something you've slightly been forced into or is value something that you've always been keen to offer? I have to make a living. I have staff, etc., to pay, but the breeder also has to make a living. And you open certain catalogues, and you'll see mare X covered by stallion Y, and you're thinking, "My God, did this sort of just want to throw away money, like using a, a stallion that was probably the nomination fee was three times what the mare was worth," and. Like we're putting out, um, I said those three: Kenway, Paris, and Storm. The dealing prices for all three of them are two thousand live foal, uh, with half for a filly. Now, you have three good-looking, tough, consistent individual horses. They are good pedigrees, good lookers, and you have to match your mare to the stallion anyway. But if you take your foal to the sales or yearling. And if she can make profit for you on those nominations, there must be something very drastically wrong. With with the Paris's again in a in a tough in two tough seasons at the sales, they he consistently um, turned over and made a lot of profit for people. Like um, his his best his highest price fall last year was a was a filly out of. Um, was conceived on the thousand euro nomination, and she made twenty five thousand. 
So, like I said, it's, he he marks his stock well. And what we've seen of the storm, the first crop of storm, the stars falls of our own, and uh, there's about five of them on the ground. And so far, everything is bay with white stars. And they seem to be lovely individuals. Well, Dave Yates is still with me because, Dave, we need to get a quick tip from you, if you don't mind, before you go. Indeed, you can, Charlotte. We go to Newcastle for the 6.30 race. Number seven, Sol Ray. Uh, three starts over course and distance. Two of them have been victories, including in a handicap on the 9th of December. Seven pounds higher here, but there's more improvement to come from Jane Chapel Hyams' horse. Holly Doyle is on board today, and let's hope they can win again. 6.30 race at Newcastle, selection number seven, Sol Ray. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis by the Racehorse Owners Association and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs. <laughs>